Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 114, and Psalm 114 is also the text for the sermon. After the sermon, we will sing from the book of praise the first verse of Psalm 114. Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. What ills you all see that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. O mountains, that you skipped like rams. O little hills, like rams. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. This is the word of God, and may he bless us as we study it. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this psalm, Psalm 114, is about the exodus when Israel went out of Egypt. But the song itself was written probably a thousand years later. The Israelites would sing it regularly, and we know this was part of the so-called Hallel, the set of songs that the Israelites would sing after the Passover. And in this song, they looked back on the exodus, on their departure from Egypt as the most important event in their history. Never mind that it was centuries ago Their identity and their joy was all bound up with that great happening. And so they commemorated it in the Passover and they celebrated it with this song of praise. Now we as the New Testament church also still have this song in our collection, in our book of praise. We too have a great salvation to celebrate. In a way, we are part of that old Israelite community. And so we too can look back on the Exodus. But also, and especially as the Church of Christ, we have much more yet to commemorate and to celebrate. And so let us look into this um, along the lines of Psalm 114 under the following theme, God's mighty work of salvation, God's mighty work of salvation. In the sermon, we'll look at three aspects of this. First, the nature of that salvation. Second, the impact of that salvation. And third, the blessing of that salvation. Yes, the rescue out of Egypt was a marvelous event. Roughly around 1500 BC, the Israelites were a pitiful group of slaves under Egyptian rule. 
and it was oppressive. In Exodus 1, you can read that Pharaoh had the Israelites' baby boys killed even, which means that had he succeeded 50 years later or so, there would be no Israelites left. All the men would have been killed and all the women would have been absorbed into this pagan Egyptian culture. But the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, would not let that happen. And we know all about the great rescue operation that the Lord set up. He called Moses, that banished prince from Egypt who had become a wandering shepherd, to become a leader and a liberator. The Lord wore down Pharaoh, that stubborn slave-driving king, with marvelous plagues. And eventually, the Israelites could leave behind the land of bondage and start a new life. For every Israelite, boy or girl, this was the story they were told most. This was the most exciting thing that had happened to their ancestors. You can read about it in Exodus 1 through 12, and it's a story you are familiar with too, I'm sure. And now when this happened, says Psalm 114, when Israel went out of Egypt in the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, this nation of slaves became the nation of God. And the psalm says it this way in verse 2. Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Judah became a sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Now, in this phrase, Judah and Israel are not in contrast with each other. In the time that this psalm was written, Judah and Israel stood for the two parts of the nation of God, the northern part Israel, the southern part Judah. And so together, these two names simply mean all the Israelites, the whole nation. When God led them out of Egypt, he made this group of slaves into his sanctuary and into his dominion. So first of all, sanctuary. What does that mean? What is a sanctuary, boys and girls? Sometimes we call a room like this a sanctuary, right? Sanctuary means holy place. The people who left Egypt behind were to be a holy, holy dwelling place for the Lord. When they settled in the promised land, that too had to become a holy place. They were to be devoted to him, to serving him, to worshiping him. And yes, it is true, the Israelites brought with them the tabernacle that was a tent that was a special holy place. And later they would build the temple in Jerusalem, a stone building that was a special worship location, an extra holy place. But the real sanctuary was always bigger than the temple and was bigger than Jerusalem. The real sanctuary was to be the whole land, and in fact, the entire nation of Israel, the people themselves, were to be the sanctuary to the Lord. And then also, they became his dominion. Dominion means the place where God rules. 
It means his kingdom, his realm. The slaves of Pharaoh were set free, but their freedom was not unlimited. They still had a lord and king. They had a king who was not oppressive but fair. A king who did not try to kill them, but a king who would bless them. You see, the Israelites were never supposed to become just another nation. They were supposed to be God's nation, the people of the Lord. Their life was to reflect His peaceful rule, and their attitudes would reflect His justice and His righteousness. So the Exodus, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, had a very clear purpose. The Lord made for himself a nation to show his holiness and his justice. Holiness, sanctuary. Justice, dominion. So that the whole world could see very concretely and practically in these descendants of Jacob, this is what the Lord is like. We know the Lord because we know his people. And in their lives and in their society, we see what true worship means, what holiness really is. And in their everyday activities and in their attitudes, we see what true justice means, what kingdom truly is. And naturally, the Israelites were happy to have escaped the slavery of Egypt. And they certainly could enjoy freedom and prosperity in the promised land. But they also had to understand that their freedom and prosperity had a goal, a purpose. Their rescue from Egypt was a rescue to becoming a worshipping people. To be a kingdom of priests. And Psalm 114 celebrated that rescue but then also reminded the Israelites of their calling in verse 2. Yes, you were set free from Egypt, and that means you have to be sanctuary and dominion to the Lord. That is your calling in your life. Now, as Christians, we also look back in history and we see an even greater rescue. We see the fulfillment of this exodus. We understand that this deliverance from Egypt and that the whole promised land and, and everything in it was a picture of something greater that happened 2,000 years ago. We can look back on deliverance, not just from physical, political slavery, but from the spiritual bondage of sin. We have a rescue, not just from a nasty pharaoh, but from the devil and his rule. And Jesus Christ, the new Moses, went ahead of us. He conquered the old slave driver. He dethroned sin. He decapacitated death itself. Like the Israelites, we follow Jesus out of the land of bondage. We are redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, set free from the compulsion of evil. But let us not forget, we are not only rescued from something, but also to something. 
The exodus out of sin and misery is also the beginning of a new identity we have in Jesus Christ. When Jesus led the people out of misery, he made the church his sanctuary. He made the believers his dominion. As we celebrate what we no longer are, mindless slaves to sin, we are also reminded of what we are now, today, and what we are to become even more, priests and servants to our God. You are God's sanctuary. You are God's dominion. Now, Israel's exodus happened with many miraculous signs. The land of Egypt was shaken up until the Israelites were free to go. The Red Sea and the wilderness and the Jordan River, they certainly knew it when God's people passed through. God's rescue mission was not quiet at all. It had a deep impact on the earth and everybody could see it happen. It's amazing, you may remember this from the story of of Jericho, when the spies get to Jericho and talk to this woman there, to Rahab, she says, we are all afraid of you guys because 40 years ago, the Lord split the sea. They still remembered and they were afraid. Psalm 114 dramatizes all these events in a very vivid picture. This is poetry. And in poetry, you get pictures. The sea and the river and the mountains and the hills, they are personified. The Red Sea did not just recede. It fled. It ran away in fear. Jordan River did not just separate. It backed away in awe. Mount Sinai did not just shake and smoke. It galloped and danced around. Verse 4, the mountains skipped like rams. When the Lord saved his people, it was as if the earth came alive. And verses 5 and 6 then repeat this in a poetic repetition and address the parts of the earth as if they were thinking people. And the psalm asks, why? What was wrong with you? Why did you turn around, O sea? Why did your waters pile up, O river? Why did you hop and skip your mountains and hills? What was it that made you do that? And that's poetic imagery. Because normally seas and rivers will not give you an answer when you ask those questions. But it's a very good question. Why is it? What shook up everything? And the answer, you know the answer. It was the Lord. The Lord, master of heaven and earth, great in majesty. He came into action and he did something marvelous. When he blows at the oceans, they must move. When he touches the mountains, they must shake. It was the power of God that changed everything or the presence of the Lord, the fact that he came close, that shook up the whole world. The untamable waters and the unchanging rocks, they could not remain unaffected. 
And in that respect, these parts of nature, they represent the whole earth. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he shook up the whole earth. He shook up the nations. People saw the presence and the power of God, and they had to respond. And it was a mixed response. Some responded with awe and amazement. Some responded with fear and hatred. Now, when Jesus came to bring salvation to the earth, the greater exodus, he also shook everything up, didn't he? The sky tore open and angel songs were heard. An out-of-place star informed wise men from the east. Storms were stilled and demons were cast out. And the religious establishment was brought in uproar. When Jesus spoke, people responded, and it was a mixed response. Some responded with awe and amazement, others with fear and hatred. On Calvary, the sun was darkened, and the earth shook, and on the third day, death was devastated. Because when God works salvation, when he comes close and shows his presence, it is an earth-shattering, a cosmic event, it turns the world upside down. And this is what we celebrate as the Church of Jesus, what we celebrate here every Sunday, what you should be celebrating every day of your life. We know why the world will never be the way it was before, because God's salvation came and his presence tore apart the powers of evil. It changed everything. Now, strangely, we know this, but we don't always live like this. Sometimes we forget how great and world-changing Jesus' coming was. Or we think, well, it was all so long ago that the shaking and the trembling that has stopped by now. Just like the Israelites might have thought a thousand years after the Exodus, well, that was back then, but now everything is quiet. Psalm 114 was there to tell them, to teach them, to ask the question, you hills and you mountains, why did you skip? You rivers, why were you in uproar? Because the Lord is still present. Psalm 114 says in verse 7, tremble then, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. It may be long ago, this exodus, but he is still present. The God who is the mover and the shaker is still with us. He still protects his people and fights for them. And that, brothers and sisters, was true for the Israelites a thousand years after the exodus. It is still true for us today, 2,000 years after the coming of the Lord Jesus It is no less true today. Jesus left us, but he appointed his church to continue the earth-shattering work. The gospel still shakes up the nations. It still conquers the hearts of millions of people. The faith of the church, even on the persecution, still puzzles governments. The light of the church, her good works and love, still shine in a very dark place. Even today, 
God's kingdom is breaking through in power. Even now, the Holy Spirit is shaking the world up. And may God forgive us if we do not understand the power of his presence. If we think that Christians should sit waiting in a corner. May God forgive us if we think that the gospel is a small secret to be kept in a corner. May God forgive us if we put the light of the gospel under a bucket. Because it's true, the decisive work was completed when Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus could rightfully say on the cross, it is finished, the prophecies have been fulfilled. It's also true that the work will be finalized when our Lord Jesus returns in the end. It's something we look forward to. Decisive in the past, and the final events will, are in the future. Then the trumpet will sound and the earth will shake again. But in the meantime, the Lord is not sitting still. The gospel spread from a group of 120 people in an upper room 2,000 years ago to billions of people who take the, Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus on their lips and it is still growing and it's still going through the world now. There is no river or ocean, no hill or mountain that has been able to stop the gospel. Still the word of God's grace is overturning the world. Our salvation begins or began with Jesus' work. But it is still being carried out today. So do you know that you are part of this? Do you know that through us as the church of Christ, the gospel must reach out also in this neighborhood, also in Owen Sound? Do you know that the Holy Spirit with its earth-changing power has been given to us? You could say that um, our situation as the Church of Christ in 2020 is a bit like that of the Israelites in the wilderness. Their liberation was a fact. They had left Egypt, the land of bondage. They were out. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had left it all behind. They had seen Pharaoh destroyed by a mighty miracle and they were on their way to a land of milk and honey, the promised land of great peace and prosperity. But they weren't there yet. They still had to cross the Jordan River. The land was not quite ready for them yet. And so they walked through the wilderness, not yet enjoying the promised land, no longer enjoying the products of Egypt. They were in between. The wilderness could never be their home. They had the memory of the misery from where they came to make them grateful. They had the promise of a rich land to which they were going to make them hopeful. And so they dragged themselves forth through the hot and dry land in between. The wilderness, a place of death. But God was with them. They saw his presence in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They heard his word through the ministry of Moses. They were called already in the wilderness 
to be his sanctuary and his dominion. The tabernacle showed it a colorful tent in a desert landscape. They had the throne room of God with them. They were not there yet, but they had the most important thing with them. God's presence was with them. And when they got really thirsty, when the heat was radiating off the hot stones and the sky was unforgivingly blue, and when their mouths were dry and their feet were sore, the Lord showed his presence again in a miraculous, earth-changing way. The Lord opened the rock to give life-giving water. Even in the wilderness, God provided, approved himself to be the giver of life. And that is celebrated here in the last verse. The God of Jacob who turned the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a fountain of waters. This was the hope for the Israelites on their way through the wilderness. This was commemorated throughout the centuries, also in Psalm 114. This psalm was written, I said, about a thousand years after the Exodus. We don't know exactly when. But it may well have been during the exile of God's people. And that was a time in which the Israelites may have felt like they were back in the wilderness, kicked out of the promised land because of their sin, and they did not know where they were going. And they may well have asked themselves, where is our God now? What use is our glorious history? What became of that exodus? And what hope do we have for the future? The answer that they had, and that they hold on to, also when they sang their psalms, was, but God is still there. He is still the same. He can still make water come out of the rock. He still can turn the desert into streams of water. You just wait, and he will do it. Because he promised, and he is faithful. And this, brothers and sisters, is also our hope today. We are on our way, saved in principle, but not saved completely yet. We are on our way, leaving our old life of sin behind, and yearning to live our new life fully. And it's often a wilderness where we go. The devil, the world, and our own flesh still swirl around us and pounce down on us from time to time. And God's presence we do not always feel. And our lives don't always reflect our salvation. But then here's the gospel that I can proclaim to you today. Do not despair. God's name must be hallowed even more. But it is hallowed already. God's kingdom must come in its fullness. But it has come already. God's will must be brought to com completion. But it is already being done. As the church of Jesus, we are his people and his kingdom. We are his sanctuary and his dominion, even in this wilderness of the world in which we live. And his Holy Spirit is near. He is in us and lives with us. And so pray. Pray that the Lord may break the rock and give us living water. Pray that our desert may become 
a life-giving river. Pray that we may see the Lord shake up the earth more. Pray that the gospel may invade the bulwarks of evil. Pray that spiritually dead people may come to life. Pray for the completion of our salvation. And when the earth and the heavens will be shaken once more, as the Lord has promised, when they are united together finally, then we will have reached the promised land. Amen.